Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the JT and Looney podcast. Episode 166. I had a big week this week. I sat down with a major motivational speaker, a gentleman named Mike Diamond, who I met in the nightclub business back in the Vegas days. We worked at the Palms, but he's an interventionalist, and he works with some of the most famous celebrities in L.A. that he can't disclose, and he gets them better. He's a sobriety coach. He's a gentleman that helps people in life. He's a massive fitness trainer. He runs marathons. He's been sober for over 17 years. He has a new book out, which I interviewed him on, and I think everybody should listen to this podcast, Tom. Here's the most important reason why. He's a super positive guy who was using crack cocaine, heroin, alcohol, all types of cocaine and drugs and got sober. And since he got sober, he has a beautiful wife, a young boy, and his life just exploded to the next level. And right now he's got a show on A&E. He's a fantastic actor. He's a reality star. And I think this is a conversation that's going to be very important to a lot of people because we've always talked about this in our career. If one person listens to this podcast, and we know many more do, and they could get something out of it, and one person decides to call Mike Diamond or reach out to him after this conversation, that'll be my way of doing good. Oh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be great because and I think people like him are so important in life. Anytime you can turn people's red lights green, as I say, and make, an, uh, make chicken soup out of the chicken poop that sometimes life has given you. And it happens to everybody, but sometimes you feel alone, like it's only happening to you. And people like Mike Diamond can bring people out of the darkness and into the light. Yeah, and the best part about Mike now is the fact that, you know, he was partying and hanging out with Scott Weiland, the former frontman, who ended up passing away from Stone Temple Pilots. Now that Mike uh, flies all around the country to do interventions, I've always been fascinated by that. I know some friends who are in the program, some friends who have gotten sober, some friends that's taken them a long time to get sober. And I had an interesting conversation with him because, you know, I like to have a beverage or two. And he talked about that, the difference or three, or three <laughs> the people that like to have a few and why they don't need any help. Some right. Or why, you know, I said, I want to have a, I want to have a beer at my son's weddings. Right. He said, that's great. Make sure you do, you know, you can do all this, but Mike had to go all in. And then Mike right. became a guy who now runs big interventions and is brought in by Hollywood and actually lives and has lived with celebrities to try to be their sober coach and their life coach. And, you know, dose of positivity with his book now, you know, I've read probably a third of it. And it's a perfect guy for me to interview right now in my life because we talked about you're a really positive guy all the time. Optimism is my oxygen. And I talked about this business that we're in, not the podcasting, broadcasting. There's so much jealousy and there's so much tear down and there's so much clickbait. And it's it's an evolving medium that we're in right now. And Mike said, no, just take it slower. And you're going to like one thing about this conversation. A lot of things you're going to like, Tom, is that. He is such a fitness guru. This is a guy that ran 30 half marathons in 30 days, pushing his young newborn. This is a guy who's been a fit bodybuilder throughout his life. This is a guy who's still fast 16 to 20 hours a day. I went to his book signing earlier today, and he said, oh, yeah, I I fast 16 to 20 hours. And he says, it's good to be hungry. It's good to be hungry for me. It keeps me on my edge. And I've never heard someone explain it that way before. And then someone else asked him a question about turning their life around, and he says, you got to get up earlier. And I sat there and I sat in the back row and I was listening to this and he goes, he gets up at three or four in the morning every day. And he says that it's hard to get up in the morning because your bed is your comfort. Your bed's supposed to feel good. And the second you get out of bed, it doesn't feel like your bed. And it sets the dopamine in your head that you have to get going. So he recommended to everyone, get up earlier, start your day earlier, Hmm. have more creativity in the morning Get your fitness going. Get your exercise going. And that really stayed with me, too. And as you know, I'm an exercise nut. I do something every single day of my life, even on vacation. And ever since high school, I designed my entire life around never having to get up early. (laughs) So I will follow all Mike's advice, except for that one, because another thing leaders like to do, and you and I are both leaders and not followers, is you like to do it your way. So I think he's probably absolutely right for most people. 
on that one. But so far, it's working out for me, not getting up early. And as you know, JT, optimism is my oxygen, so I want to talk to any guy who writes a book about positivity. But before we get to Mike Diamond, we have to talk about our sponsor, Bet Online, the proud sponsor, or maybe they're ashamed, of the JT and Looney podcast, but you definitely need to go to betonline.ag. You smell that? That is the smell of marijuana in the air, but it's also the smell of the NBA playoffs in the air. And down the stretch they come! My Los Angeles Lakers as they head to the NBA Finals. But first, they've got a few bumps in the road that they have to get over. And if you'd like to bet on or against my Los Angeles Lakers, betonline.ag is the place to go. You can do it from your phone or uh, from your PC at home. I'm a poet, and I don't even know it. And if you're friends with the JT and Looney podcast, you get a 50% sign-up bonus. Go to betonline.ag and use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. That's the platform we use for the JT and Looney podcast, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE. And you'll get that 50% sign-up bonus at Bet Online, where the game starts. Here's my conversation with author, fitness guru, a guy who is, a, I think, one of the more positive people that I know and has one of the greatest backstories of people that I've met in my life, and that says a lot. My conversation with Mike Diamond. I'm thrilled to catch up with a longtime friend who has a new book out, A Dose of Positivity. Mike Diamond had a big impact on my life when he was here in Vegas. He's a great father. He's a great husband. He's a motivational speaker. He's a life coach. He's a fitness guru. Did I leave anything out, my brother? Great to see you. You too. Interventionist. Yes. I, I, I intervene when people are making disempowering choices and try to help them. Well, I want to talk about the book, and we want to yeah. go back to how we became friends in the beginning of your life in this journey. But the book coming out now is a big deal for you because I follow you on social media. We've been friends for a long time. This positivity world that you live in and intervening and helping people's lives, this is a passion project like I've never seen with you with your whole life story behind it. Yeah. Tell me where you're at right now. So, you know, it really hit when uh, the pandemic hit. So I've always been a positive guy and I've always, and, and what it was crazy, as soon as the pandemic hit, it took me straight back to September 11th. It was crazy. It, I literally felt the same. I remember the towers coming down, sitting in New York City, a kid from Australia going, oh my God, this is real. And I remembered the chaos in the city. And I remembered sitting on, on 13th Street and 1st Avenue. I still have the pictures. I ran and took a photo and then ran to the little place with a Kodak and had him print up the pictures. I never forgot how impactful it was and how many people died in the city that I knew. And just the feeling, like everyone felt alone and isolated. And, and when the pandemic hit, you know, everything shut down. Right. We're in lockdown, right? And what was hard about it is that we were, we were told to go inside, but we're really told to go inside ourselves. And I started to start writing, but I didn't know I was writing my second book. I just always tell people to get clear and clear the mind because the mind can be chaotic. Mm -hmm. You've got to start writing. Write your thoughts down. It's therapeutic because sometimes you don't have people to talk to. So what it was, I started channeling my emotions and I went to a friend of mine and I said to her, look, I'm writing this stuff. I don't know what it is. Uh, do you want to edit it? And I wrote the first draft of the book in about six weeks off my phone because I would get up early, run with the baby, have a thought, and I would start writing. And I created a Word document in the phone, and then I would send it back to myself later. And this is the mistake I tell people make. Successful people do the work no matter how they feel. An unsuccessful person always looks for the right time, the right place, and the right moment. It doesn't exist. That's a really interesting point in my business. It's the same thing when we come up with projects for podcast or radio or film. We think we have to wait until our schedule clears, Mike, or something happens in our life. Or what's happening now in radio and audio are people are losing their jobs because of what's happening in the world. And now they're saying, now I'm going to go put up this project. Now I'm going to do it. Repeat that again about when to start. So a successful person does the work no matter how they feel. An unsuccessful person is always looking to feel right, feel good, and the right time. And it doesn't exist, and I'll tell you why. It's 
inspiration, 99% motivation, right? So when you have an idea, what most people, someone said to me the other day, how can you always get things done? I said, because what I do is I just start. So I'm not intimidated. I fail forward. So the mistake people make, right, is they look at a painting on a wall and they don't realize the mess of the studio of the artist, because learning has four stages, right? Mm-hmm. You're unconscious and you're incompetent. You don't know what you don't know. And that's hard and messy to admit that, and be, sure. right? And most people quit there. Now, let's say you get through to the next stage, which is still hard. And now you're consciously incompetent. Now you're aware of the work you have to do. So we live in a short-term society where people can't delay gratification. Now, let's say you push through. Then you become consciously competent. Now I have some skill, but here's the trick what most people don't get. It has to become an unconscious competence. It has to become second nature. You're in football. You see it with athletes, mm-hmm. right? You could come out of college. Look at, the, look at the perfect example. Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning, drafted at the same time. One, two. Right? One, two. Look at their careers. Incredible how you could see two guys make different choices because one did the work no matter how he felt and the other one only wanted to feel good and feel right to work. And we love Ryan, but what did he do? He made short-term choices, right? He wanted what I would say an empowering dose. And dose is dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, right? Every human being in the world makes this mistake, JT. Every human being has two motivations. It's very simple. Avoid pain and gain pleasure. Right, okay. So how are you going to get your dose, right? So if you can delay a little gratification, right, and you can have forward motivation and a purpose and see your goal every day and know you're supposed to fail and you fail forward, you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be. I want to get to sobriety in a bit, but I want to just yeah. jump right into fitness because yeah. I knew you when you were diving into fitness. <laughs> Your sobriety and then the fitness, and I'm watching you over the last couple of years, and it's got to be six, seven, eight years. You're doing these marathon runs, and you're doing unbelievable bodybuilding and everything. When you just talked about gratification and starting, there's a lot of people who are listening that need to start a workout. They need to start. Either they haven't worked out in a while Maybe a woman had a baby, wants to get going again. Maybe there's a guy in his 50s who said, you know, I haven't worked out in 10 years. How did you take this philosophy to fitness? Okay, so the, the, the mistake everyone makes is they overwork and they overthink. And what I mean by that is this. If you want to go on I, I, a perfect example, there was a guy. He's my neighbor, and he was struggling to get up in the morning. And I, like Joe Rogan says it in an aggressive way. If you can walk to the fridge, you can walk, Right. So all I tell someone is, and I told this guy and I tricked him, I said, every day all I want you to do is go out and walk as far as you can for how long? Just do that and put it on a a tracker. What he didn't realize was I was going to trick him. And every day he walked, I just said, you got to do it every day. Just do that for me. And some days he'd walk for five minutes, some days 10. He got a rhythm going. But over two months, he told me his miles. And he'd walk 26.8 miles. Now, 26.3 miles is a marathon. So I said, do you realize you walked a marathon? He goes, how? I said, it's 26 miles. He goes, wait, wait. I said, see, you can actually walk a marathon if you remove time. So we get caught up, like we race, because what we do is we have comparison syndrome. And what that is, is we look at other people's social media and compare our lives to them. And they don't realize that a social media clip is a highlight. It's not the truth. It's a highlight. Right? It's just a highlight. And you and I know this one thing, and everyone needs to understand this. If you do the work in the dark when no one is around, you shine in the bright lights. But if you don't do the work in the dark and you're just a paper champion and it's all talk and you can't walk the talk, guess what? Bottom of the ninth at Yankee Stadium, you ain't going to shut them out like Mariana Rivera. Love the reference to Mo. Love that reference. Uh, Mike Diamond is my guest. Now, I want to go back to a young boy in Australia. What were the defining moments of your youth? What do you look back as the highs and the lows? Because I've seen all this change in your life. So I got to assume there was some trouble early in your life and also a lot of success and family. Take me back to being a young boy. 
the hardest thing about uh, the good thing now is this. I don't, I don't, I never, ever, ever, ever look back and regret. My parents did the best they were they could with the the resources they had. Um, like they couldn't obviously monitor their emotions. I triggered a lot in them. I was defiant. My older brother got sick when we were seven. I had measles encephalitis and nearly died. Uh, my sister was 13 weeks premature. So my hardworking Europeans, back then the teacher could smack you around the head if you didn't pay attention. Yeah. You know, there wasn't like this growth mindset, compassion. You just, you know, if you were stupid, shut up. I was undiagnosed dyslexic with ADHD. So at 12, I started mood altering just because of the stress and the pain. I was drinking, doing drugs. But the, the moment that changed my life, JT, was this. And this is why it's important. And, and this is why I try to be that one person to help people. And I'll tell you why. When I was 16, I wanted to kill myself. And I got a handful of pills. Not many people, only a few people know this. And I jumped over my neighbor's fence. And she, I don't know why I chose her fence. I just trusted her. She was this American woman named Judy Turner. We're still friends. And um, I was going to swallow the pills and she grabbed me. I'd been kicked out of school, right? I was struggling, really struggling. And she's like, are you okay? And I looked at her and I said, no, I'm not. She didn't know what I was going to do. I just said, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I don't know what to do with my emotions and I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Mm-hmm. I was a very talented athlete, but I was just, I was very talented at acting and these things, but I just didn't have any resources. I had no mentors. I, no one taught no you. No mentors. Re- no mentors. None. And I didn't have good role models. And the environment that I was in wasn't an environment to thrive. It was negative. It was toxic. So when you're from an environment like that, you don't see any choice. No one gives you hope. And she hugged me and she, she said, I love you. And in 30 years from now, this is not going to matter. And what happened is she, she planted a seed of hope. And I thought to myself, wait, hold on. What is if she's right? So I graduated school and then I moved to Sydney with nothing, right? I went to acting school and I struggled there because I had horrible mentors, toxic people, predators, one of my first acting coaches raped a girl and I had to go against him to leave and leave acting school. Interesting. Like I was around psychos, right? Really sick people. And what I started to realize is I had to do this. And this is crazy, but it, it's, it, this is how crazy it is. I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger, I swear to God. And I thought, wait, this guy can barely speak. He, he sounds like he's a truck di- driver from Transylvania. How did he get to America? How's he making films? Like, what is he doing? Like, and so I looked at a guy like that and I said, wait a sec. So if you're in America, they speak English. So I just started to come up. Now I know what I was doing. I was visualizing my success. I was visualizing the person that I could be in another country. So I became stronger than my environment. I gave myself so much forward motivation to come to America that I gave myself no out. I was like, no, I'm going to America. It's all in. It's all in. There's no net. There's no no security. I'm going to burn my boats at the bridges. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to, I believe that because no one believed in me. I believe in myself. And I, the reason I believed in myself was this. I didn't know I was dyslexic, right? But I knew I had two things that most people didn't have. Three things. I'm great with people. I know I, I know people like me because I like people genuinely. I don't have to think about that, right? The second thing is I'm consistent. I'm very consistent and I am naturally third self-discipline. I knew that I can live on tuna and rice, right? And like when I was in New York, JT, working in before David Goggins was posted, I used to train in the snow naturally. I would run in the snow. I, I just knew how to simplify everything and forget about my wants and focus on what I needed. But at that time, you were using and on drinking. And off, which is crazy. Now explain that to me because I know the back end of the story when you were really using, and we'll get to Scott Weiland and rock and roll and all that, and then you're acting. How were you handling using part-time and jumping in and jumping out? What was that like? I'll be honest with you. I was... It, I grew up with guys when I played rugby and Australian rules football that I was drinking like a man at 14, 15 in pubs and you just worked hard, play hard. Right. It's such a crazy mentality. It's like, it's like when you listen to Lawrence Taylor, right? Like doing Coke 
and and going out and destroying destroying people in tackles. Like that's how I used. It was just like it was kind of this crazy thing. Now looking back on it, it's like. I got sober at 19 and then I would dabble because I could get away with it because I, JT, I could show up for work. Yeah. It's insane. And people, and I never missed a gym and I even ate clean. Like it's completely psychotic. I was the most in shape crackhead there was. I, I've smoked crack. I have done meth. I have snorted. I never shot it. I've snorted heroin. Um, I've done massive amounts of acid. I've eaten piles of mushrooms. I've done it all times 50. And I could still show up. So my rock bottom wasn't going to be financial. And it was going to be spiritual. Interesting. So yeah. you're in New York at this time. Mm-hmm. What was the big break in New York? Because there's a lot going on here. All right. So you burn the boats. You're there. I got no other chance. It's got to work. You're trying to get into more acting, music. Tell me about the people that helped you along the way and a couple of doors that opened for you and you decided to walk through. I got discovered. It, well, so when I first came to America, I, got, I landed in Miami because I had a friend who completely screwed me over. And now I try to tell people this. Your network is your net worth. This is before social mm. media. I couldn't go on Australian Australians in America Facebook fan page, right, or community. Help me. It was me in America by yeah, myself. Right. And a guy named Michael Alt, who I'm still – very close with. Um, I was working at a club. Someone asked me to work at a club. I didn't want to work at a club. I was running a little jewelry store, going to auditions in Miami and South Beach back in 1997. This guy called Michael Alt. Uh, he had a club in New York called Chaos, and he had um, Spy Bar. They were famous guys. They, they created bottle service. Got it. They were the guys. And he made me his doorman in Miami. Out of nowhere. Loved me. And I got a TV show in Miami called The Grapevine uh, through a big director called uh, David Frankel. And I got an independent record deal through this company because I was liking what I was doing. And then I moved to New York and opened Chaos New York. That changed my life because I was in New York City on Houston Street, right, and Essex. And all the celebrities were coming in. And I was the guy you had to get to know. And that's where I pick up the story when I knew you after this. When you came to Vegas, and I want to stay in New York as a New Yorker, you became a celebrity club doorman plus. You could help celebrities. You could help people find what they're going to do next later in the evening and all that. You were great at that and built that reputation. Who were the people you met along the way that saw this in you and said, holy shit, Mike Diamond is more than just the guy at the door that's getting me the bottles, walking me down to the front row. How did that become your life for a certain amount of time? You know what's weird? So it's so crazy you said that. Like I could always – I was getting people sober and doing interventions while I was running clubs. I was doing both. And it's so funny because when I did this book signing in L.A., I was explaining like – when Johnny Tempesta from The Cult, great friend of mine, played in Rob Zombie. He was at the book signing. He's like, yeah, when I need to hook up, Mike would hook us up. I hooked up all the rockers, right? And that's kind of how I met Scott Weiland right. and opened my own place, right? And then the guys from Tau Group, Jason, when Jason and Noah were promoters in New York and owned a little place called Luan, and before they went to Sweet 16, they were promoters at this club Chaos where I was the door guy. And now Jason and Noah are Tau Group. So when I came to Vegas, even though the, Michael Morton, who I adore, gave me my break in Vegas. Wow, what a, what a great spiritual unique and great friend to me. He's the best. He is the best. He's the best. And his sobriety now yep. and others and John O'Donnell and other yep. people yep. that are going to listen. <laughs> it's incredible, believe me. And we're going to connect the dots a little bit later on with that. But back to New York, you're getting people into the club yep. and trying to get them sober. How? Like in the corner or afterwards the next morning having coffee with them? Well, no. So what ha- oh, so here. So in 2004 is when I had my epiphany. I was... You'd say you're the top of the mountain, right? So I own a bar, I own a bar and Scott Weiland, the legend, uh, he had a small percentage with Duff and the singer from Fuel. Now, I, and I, I, I'm going to be really important here. I didn't know them. Brett, the singer from Fuel, knew them, and he introduced us. And Brett kind of got screwed, I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. He got kind of left out, like, in the sense of he wasn't treated right, and I've made that amends with him and his beautiful wife, Abby. And... I helped Army James, a good friend of mine, get on Miami Inc. So the same producer was like, we should shoot something with you when we shot a pilot. And VH1 loved it. 
And it was me owning a bar with Scott Wayland. It's crazy. A kid from Perth that came from nothing now owns a bar with this big rock star, right? Out of his mind. And I was using it at the time. And what happened is we were, I was out of my JT. When I talk about cocaine, I was doing eight balls of cocaine, fistfuls of cocaine and drinking vodka every night out of my mind, right? And I was with Scott and we're a couple of weeks after shooting and I just had this moment of clarity because his wife... Mary at the time was like, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. And he just looked at me and I thought, well, that's it, right? You got two kids and you're out. And I'm like, what do we do? And he's like, I'm Scott Wyland. And I just, I literally put, pressed a pause button in my life and I stopped and I, and I zoomed out. I saw the forest from the trees and I was like, no, that's not right. It doesn't go like this. The crazy story is, so I got sober that day and it'll be, 17 years, April 16th. That day. That day. With Scott Weiland. I, I was done. I was done. I walked out. I called a friend of mine, which I wrote about in the book. Um, I saw in the book um, called Bobby. And I said, I need to go to meetings. I don't know. I, I detoxed myself. I didn't. I was like, I was done. I didn't go to a rehab. I intervened on myself. I literally said, it's done. It's like, it was, it, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to get. People get weird with God and spirituality, but it was, it was a divine intervention. I just knew. my intuit, Intuitively, I knew it was time. The party was over. I'd climbed the wrong mountain. It was all bullshit. Excuse my language, yeah, right? No, go ahead. And um, the crazy thing is I now mentor Scott's son, Noah. I help Noah out, and we're very dear friends, and I love him to death. And when, when, when I met Noah, I was thinking, God, my son was is was four at the time and I was partying with Scott when Noah was four. Like that's how crazy and yeah. full circle my life has come from doing the right thing now. And that day it was over. So when I was in Vegas, I wasn't meant to come to Vegas. I got a contract. I was in it I moved from New York to LA. And I was supposed to open up the old the old forty deuce was right. in the, was called the Rose with the opium group and it never got open. And I came out for that and then Jason, oh, first Morty, Morty discover me. My, another one was like Michael Old, just discover me. I walked in and, and Andy Belmonte, this is so funny, will be at the book signing tomorrow. He was like, who's this long haired guy? And Morty goes, I like him. He's special. I like him. And Morty gave me a job at the Palms. At the Palms. At and Palms. that's when we met because yeah. you were running the door at Ghost Bar. Yep. And Morty had nine steakhouse. Yep. And J.O.D. was behind the bar. Yep. And Chef Barry was in the kitchen. Yep. And I remember because, and this is a funny side story, I still own the condo at the Palms. No it's way. not my greatest investment, but I laugh about it because we've had a lot of fun with it. We've given it to our kids and friends and parties and all that. But the Maloofs came to me, and I, I haven't shared this story ever on any of my podcasts. Joe, Joe Maloof came to me, big sports fan. He would listen to me every night in Sacramento when the Kings played. And then finally said, who is this guy? Kind of like how I got discovered by the Raiders. The GM at the time's listening in the middle of the night. Who is this guy? Hire him. And Joe kind of found me that way. And Joe fl flew me up in the private jet to a Kings game. And then I met Joe. And then I came down with Gavin and George. And they said, hey, we got this condo. Where we haven't even, they haven't even built it. They didn't break ground. Remember Palm's Place? Like, we want to get you in on this. And I flew my buddies out, J.D. and Bobby G. We sat down with them. Long story short, we bought the condo, and we were living in the Palms and hanging out in the Palms when the Palms really exploded. Britney Spears, you remember it all. The real world, right? The real world yeah. and all that. And meeting you at the time, there was no going to the Strip. Everybody I knew, other than the Hard Rock, when the Hard Rock was flaming great and unbelievable, the center bar, the joint— we were there at the opening of the Palms for the next five or six years at the Ghost Bar when you were there, the nightclubs, rain— and all of that, and it was electric, yeah. and Vegas is there. So now we fast forward to me and you meeting. You're in Vegas working the ghost bar. Pick it up from there. Yeah, and then that was amazing. And then I was, it was, like you said, there was no social media back then. None. So you had to be there. And more. Now, I'm going to stop you. That's a great point. Kids now don't get it. No. They're not getting blasted on Instagram. No. Come here tonight. We're opening no. up. You had to be there. Yeah. I love that line. I've yeah. never heard it explained had, that you way. You know why? And I tell people this. The map is not the territory. And what I mean by that is you can see a map of New York, but until you walk the streets and smell the subways and smell the territory, that's the menus, not the food, right? And the problem is this with kids, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault. I'll tell you why. We didn't grow up in the information era. 
So I had to walk the streets of New York because if you wanted to be into entertainment in, in, in back in the day, you had to be on a – cut your bones, right, go and do a radio show like Booker did in the middle of nowhere, right? There was no social media. There was Absolutely. no Zoom calls. You had to be there at an audition in person. You had to be in New York at an audition in person. You had to meet people socially. If you told me you were going to be there at 6 o'clock and you weren't at 6, I couldn't text you 95 times during the minute to get you distracted. Why didn't you show up? You're done. You're canceled. You're fired. It was brutal, it right? Was. And the next guy was taking a job. So when I did a party back in the day in New York, you know what I did? This is where I outworked everyone. I became the guy that would facilitate all the rockers. And I would take a Tuesday or Wednesday night, which anyone, no one's going to fill a place on Tuesday or Wednesday. You can do the weekend warriors, right? And what I would do is walk the streets and invite you. I would purposely walk the streets and invite you to my party and greet you at the door. And that's how I built my network. And then I would write notes on people. This guy liked to do, had a dog, or this guy's getting married, or this guy's doing this, or this. I created my own little filing system of people and remembered it. So when they came to the door, I'm like, "How's your wife? How's your dog? How's your cousin? How's this?" And I I learned. And you know where I learned that from? Acting school. Interesting. Because I'd study characters, right, and study people. So my database, being dyslexic, is like I remember things so well. I'm photographic that way. And I just had files and files of conversation. I genuinely like to connect people. Then over the years, before social media was even created, I could connect people. You need, I got it. I got the guy. I got the guy. I got this. I got that. I got this. I got that. And that's how I became it. That's what I'm. I, my mentor, who I wrote my book about the handoff, was the King Kong of connectors. And I've been since I've been 12 years old trying to connect people there to this go. day. And you do it as good as anybody. Mike Diamond joins us. I wanted to ask you when you got to Vegas, were you nervous with your sobriety? You're in fucking Vegas. Okay. What's different between New York? And being down in the meatpacking district and clubs and Los Angeles with the Rockers on both coasts. Then you come to Vegas. Vegas has got a lot of traps. It, it, honestly, I always say you've got to – look, here, here's a deep thing that I tell people. If you're not willing to, to go through the tests and stretch yourself and get uncomfortable and you live in too much comfort, you can't succeed. You've got to face your demons. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for me, I had to go back into the belly of the beast. And why not test how good my sobriety is by going to Vegas? I don't gamble and I don't drink. Okay. Do you not gamble and not drink? Let's find out. Yeah, let's and find I out didn't in Vegas. gamble and didn't drink, right? Because that's the problem I think people – And actually, you know what? Going back to like the fitness thing that I, I siloated, you asked me about fitness and that kind of stuff. It's like, don't search for the perfect body. Figure out empowering choices that make you healthy and figure out why you're not making them. But you went extreme. I remember I when you were, you were pretty extreme with your fitness, especially yeah. the body building portion and of it. And then I ran 30 half marathons in 30 days. That was something we're going to get to. That was extreme. And I'm watching you push the baby. I'm watching you do this <laughs> in neighborhoods. I'm watching you do this. And I'm saying, again, why is Mike doing everything extreme? Because it seems like that's the that's way you're addict. wired. That's the addict. That's the addict in you. So, I, so some people ask, is it genetic? I think it's genetic. And I think it's... Um, environment i don't want to get in because science is what you know what i mean that's just how i'm wired if i'm good look i'm the honey badger i have the i have the stamina of the hyena the heart of a lion and the tenacity of a honey badger i ain't going anywhere there's no quitting me yeah. i'm gonna die trying i am going to die trying i'm not there's no quitting me i don't know how to quit in the sense of i've got better now at controlling that energy right because i don't do drugs and i don't do alcohol but I'm still extreme. If I'm going to do it, I want to win. I want to be the guy. Like, my, one of my, hate him, you could hate him or whatever you want, but I love Brady, and I'll tell you why. Imagine being 199th pick or whatever, sixth yeah. draft, right? Sixth round. And everyone bets against you. And you're just waiting. It's Drew Blesto, right? The other quarterback? Uh, it, Drew Bledsoe. Drew, Drew Bledsoe, yeah. right? And you know, you know you're good. And you're like, if this guy makes one mistake, I'm coming in. And no one knows it. And he gets the spot, right? And everyone's like, well, the other guy's going to come back. No, he's not. And then he wins six, right? Fight was six, it six with the Patriots. Wait. 
They get rid of him. He's done. Put him out to the pastures. Goes to the Buccaneers and wins one. Do you know the? It's like he won seven. It's like people talk about Lance Armstrong. Like so, the, the so that's a perfect example, right? So they talk shit. Excuse my language about um. Oh, he was the balls, the balls, right? He was deflating balls. Okay, right. it's like talking about Lance Armstrong and saying, well, he cheated, or you know, wait, he was doping, doping. as he was fighting through cancer. Right, 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 right. He's got one testicle. Go and ride one, one Tour de France after cancer. Go and do what Brady does at that level. Deflate or not. Don't even, you're not even in the arena to talk. Shut up. That's my business. That's what we're doing here in this studio. We talk sports and we're not in that arena and we're criticizing people in that arena. It's a whole nother level to get up. Look, anyone that's listening, I'm going to tell you this key and it's the greatest key that'll change your life. And this is why I don't procrastinate because I've figured it out. So the Average 1% in America is over 400 grand. So I say to people, I'll offer you $5 million in one year, right? 400 grand a year. They're like, wow, that's eight times or 10 or whatever. I'm like, yeah. I go, here's the deal, but this is where I'll trick you. Say I say to you, no matter how you feel, again, you got to get up at four in the morning and I give you 10 rituals you have to do. You've got a spike of dopamine because you know there's $5 million in the year. So you could, $5 million is a lot of money right now in one year, right? Now, this is the mistake everyone makes. And I say, it doesn't matter how you feel, you can't hit snooze. You've got to get up at four. So I say, I get up at three. I say three o'clock, right? The buzzer goes off at three. And this is the mistake everyone makes because we avoid pain and gain pleasure. Everyone tomorrow morning is going to feel like crap. You know why? Because the bed's pleasurable. And anyone that tells you that it's easy to get up in the morning is a liar. That's why motivation's a lie. You're never going to be as motivated as when you get the idea. Right? Right. So extraordinary people just do a little extra to the ordinary. So what do you do is you hit the snooze and then you start making excuses. Well, I don't feel right. Oh, well, he wasn't going to pay me that. I wasn't going to get that job anyway. Well, that guy's a liar. No. The Brady's. The Mariana Rivera's, the people that make it to the pros and build these careers, they know they're going to feel like crap in the morning because that you're always going to feel like crap Absolutely. when you first wake when you up. first get up. Yes, and they push through. And they get in the habit of associating massive regret and loss for not following through. Got it. And if you can associate pain for not achieving your purpose... Right? You just tricked your brain because you're like, I'm supposed to feel like crap. This is how most people feel. So I'm going to purposely push through that feeling, right? Knowing I should, don't worry about how I feel. Just, just work. But you've said trick your brain a few times in our conversation. Yeah. You have to trick, trick your it. brain. Because human behavior is one. Enjoy comfort. That's fascinating. A dose of positivity. I need to be more positive. You know my wife. She's extremely positive. I'm in this business, and this business is inherently negative. We talk about who missed the game-winning shot, not who made it. Who didn't make the cut if Tiger Woods doesn't make it? Instead of the positivity, what can you tell us about tricking your brain to be more positive? I'd like to be more positive. There are certain days I couldn't be more positive with my friends and with my family. And there are other days that I get involved with negativity, gossip, it's not going to be great. My mind is not completely right. Tell us about the book, A Dose of Positivity. How can we all learn to be more positive? So the, the most important thing, if you're <clears> – we <throat> always want something. It's always a desire, right? Yeah. So what's your desire? Say it's like, well, I didn't make enough money or I didn't make the cut or I didn't get the answer. Okay. If you do your best – so <clears throat> so – People say, do you do affirmations to be positive? I said, no. They're like, wow, I'll tell you why. What do you believe gives you self-confidence and self-esteem? For me, it's success from people telling me they like my work. So if I'm at a Raider game. So so basically, extrinsic. Yeah. You're motivated by the approval of others. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a cup. My family and my friends motivate me outside my career, but I think I'm like many people listening. We all might get to the point where we're judged. I'm afraid at the end of my life I'm going to be judged 
by my last radio show, my last contract. And no one's going to go back to 98 and 2003 and go, holy shit, in 2008, he did this. He had this with Jim Brown in 2010. In my business, the negativity that brings us all down is, hey, what was your last contract? Hey, you just got let go. Hey, you just did this for 10 years and now you're not. And people identify us. With what we did yesterday, instead of identifying our whole life, all the creative process, everything that went in, all the connecting that we're talking about. And in my business, it's a trick in television, radio, podcasting. Everybody judges you on the last fucking thing you did. And hopefully it's good. I've been lucky. A lot of the stuff I'm doing right now, I think, is some of my best work. But if it's three, six, nine, two years from now, I lose a job or this, there are going to be people that say... Wow, he just lost his job, and it's tricking my mind into thinking about. I don't want to think about that moment. I want to be in the in the moment more. Yeah, yeah. So this is what I. This is how I look at it, and it'll blow anyone's mind. Self confidence is built on, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you how you do it. And this is this is, and people need to understand how to reframe their perspective. I talk about in the book. So if two people in two different cities are walking to their car in the evening. And someone comes up and robs them. And they're both not skilled at defending themselves, right? One person goes home and says, that's never going to happen again. And they get up and for 365 days, they tell themselves, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm this and that, right? The other person goes, damn, that was scary. What can I do to defend myself? He takes a jiu-jitsu class. He does all these things to build his skill set. Same situation happens a year ago. The guy that says the affirmation gets his ass kicked. The guy that does all the work kicks the other person's ass. So this is what I worry about. I don't worry about your opinion. I build my skills. I become so fucking good at what I'm doing, I can't be ignored. And I just grind. So I know your opinion has no reality in my mind because I'm that fucking good. And I'll prove it to you. Right. And I don't care your opinion because they're just words. Because if I can get out every day and do the work, right, and keep grinding away, eventually I've got to quieten down the noise. Because you're like, I'm expecting you to dislike me all the time. I don't expect your approval because all my life I was told I would never make it, I was a loser, I was stupid, I was this, I was that. So I have this method called coaching the critic. You stop when the critic comes in, you take a breath, you regulate your breathing. When the critic comes in. The mental critic, right? Your own mental yeah. critic. Okay. You start criticizing yourself, right? Take a breath because what do you do by breathing? You regulate because when you're not breathing, you're in what's known as the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight, freeze, or feed. Now, I, S-T-I, identify the critic. Who is the critic? It's got to come from past programming, right? It's got to come from somewhere because right now, all that matters in reality, JT, is I'm sitting talking with you. You're in the moment. That's it. So anything that you start overthinking came from somewhere. You're either afraid you're not going to get what you want. You're afraid you're going to lose what you have. You're obsessed about something you did in the past or you're worried about the future. Right? Guess where you're not? Right here with me and yeah. you. There's no danger. Right? Now, once you identify the critic, it could be your dad. It could be an old boss. It could be a kid from school. Whoever it is, then see, coach the critic. You do a real-time assessment in the moment because all we have is the moments. We can't change the past. We can only learn from it. We can't worry about the future. We can only create the best moments now to have a better future. But life's still going to show up, right? Absolutely. So what do you do once you coach the critic, right? You then, you're good. Stick, stop, take a breath, identify, coach. Coach yourself. Coach your inner critic. Now, people always say to me, yeah, but breathing. And I'm like, stop. I'm like, have you ever seen a UFC fight or a boxing match? They're like, yes. I said, okay. Two athletes engaged. This is not social media. If you're in a boxing fight or a UFC fight or you're on an NFL field, this is no joke. This ain't a pillow fight. Yeah. People are trying to kill you out there. Don't get it wrong. This is serious stuff. If you make it to the corner, the first thing, and you watch a fight, the first thing the corner man says... Breathe. 
because he knows if you take the breath, what happens diaphragmatically breathing, breathing in through the nose, which is called box breathing, you could do, breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold for four. The Navy SEALs do it. You go from fight, flight, freeze, right, which is called your sympathetic nervous system, into parasympathetic nervous system, right? So people say, right, I was so emotional, I didn't know what I was thinking, I just said it, right? Because you're hijacked by your emotions. I don't know what I was thinking. Now, if you breathe, you start to think, right? So when the corner man says, slip, roll around, throw a hook, he's like, okay, you do it. Because why? You regulate the breathing. And you're clearing your mind at the same time. There you go. Okay, a couple other quick things. I want to talk about you being a father and a husband. Yep. Tell us about your wife coming into your life, then the birth of your son, and how that's changed your life. Such a great question. My wife's the best because we are, we are polar opposites. Never married anyone like you. It's the biggest fast. We are polar opposites. It's like they say, nature abhors a vacuum. You have to have yin, you have to have yang, right? There's no such thing. If there was just light, you wouldn't know what darkness was and vice versa, right? The sun's got to go up, the sun goes down. So she accepts me for who I am. She has no trauma. Her parents were great. Like, she's just like, okay, hon. She doesn't, she's not driven like me. She's great. She does. She works for Aflac. She sells insurance. She's just, she's great. No drama. No drama. No drama. Keeps it simple. Tremendous trust. Yeah. Because I, I was open with her. I said, she got me sober. I go, this was my past. I was a complete savage. I'm sober now. She's great. I don't lie to her. She can check all my social media messages. She has my emails. She has money to my account. I'm all good. I live a clean life. I don't have any, like, bullshit, right? right? Talk to my wife. My son was the greatest. First of all, she's the greatest mother in the world. I have never seen anyone unconditionally love her. Love someone like she loves, right? I am blessed. I'll tell you why. I didn't download my insanity and I didn't download my alcoholism on my son. I don't yell at him. I don't scream at him. Um, he's just clean. He's clear. He's happy. He loves people. At my book signing, he's like, I've got to greet all daddy's friends. You'll meet him tomorrow. He hugs people genuinely. And he changed my life because... You know, we, we didn't know if we'd have a kid. And she's like, what do you want to do? I said, we should try to have one, but I'm only going to do one. I just want to do one, give him everything, give him what nice. I wanted. Right? I, I w I'll be honest with you, I live vicariously through him. He can't fail, and I'll tell you why. See, the first eight years of your life, your brain is programmed, your subconscious mind. And unfortunately, if you have a bad environment like I did, it took me years to heal and re reprogram my brain. So he's five years old. The, he gets... I'm, I don't live vicariously through him. I'm a successful dude, right? Someone's like, well, is he going to be an athlete like you? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what he's going we'll to figure like. it out. Yeah. Right? So I don't put that pressure on him. And I learned that from this beautiful thing Kobe Bryant said. Kobe was playing and his dad picked him up from a summer league and he kept failing and he was crying. He was like 12 or 13, I think he said he was. And his dad said, what's wrong? And he's like, I can't get a point. And his dad put his arm on his shoulder and said, Kobe's. I love you unconditionally. It don't matter. And he goes, from that day forward, he knew I was going to be a success. You know why? Because he could fail. He had the permission to fail. Yes. No one gave me the permission to fail. They set these stupid expectations over my head. And then when I reached them, you know what they said? Oh, you're a show off. So I was damned if you do, damned if you don't. So what did I do? I did drugs. And that's a common mistake by most fathers who are good fathers. Great people. They just... They don't program you to fail or tell you it's okay to fail. We've all done it. Our dads, uh, me as a father, everybody. You know, you want, you want your kids, you want everybody to be at their best. I love that you're vibrant as a dad. That's great. And what you just said, another minute on that. Could you ever have imagined if you were using and drinking when this beautiful son came into your life? No, I would. That was the one thing. As 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 stupid and as crazy I was, I never, ever, ever. I, I, to me, a child is so much responsibility Pressure. to me. Oh, it's so much responsibility. And I never even went near the thought. Right, which is great. Like, I was like, I ain't going to ruin, ruin a kid. Because you, you know what? People asked me the other day, 
I do this thing, JT, that I don't post on social media. I go around my grocery store every week and I, I can see I'm very good at reading people. I've done it for years, club business, whatever, doing interventions. And I see someone that's struggling. I know they're struggling. And I know people live check by check. I don't live check by check. Never have. Mm. And I'm like, how's your day going? They're like, uh. And I'm like, when was the last time someone did something nice for you? And they're like, I can't remember. So I buy the groceries. Nice. And they're like, why are you doing this? I'm like, I'm just trying, trying to show you that someone cares. I don't want anything. And that's what happened with you when you went over the fence with the pills. Yeah. Someone cared. I'm a kid. Changed your whole life. And guess what? My direction changed. And you know where I, you know what? There's a crazy guy called Sam Carroll who's dead now. And there was a place in Sydney called The Gap. And people would jump off it to kill themselves. And one morning, it's a true story. He's dead now. And he saw this person jump. And he's like, oh, my God, i got to do something. A normal guy. Normal guy. No degrees. No, no therapy. And he walked out the next day. He saw a guy and he said, look, I know you're going to jump. But could you just have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, some biscuits with me? Just want to chat. He saved over 400 people from jumping by starting a conversation. At the gap. That's it. Mike, finally, this is an amazing conversation. Tell us about your social media. I'm on it today prepping to interview you, and there's John Stamos. What's that all about? <laughs> I mean, you talk, I know you know a lot of celebrities. <laughs> John Stamos, man, what a great guy. Just watching his whole life. I'm a big Howard Stern fan. I hear him on that all the time. How did this friendship come about? Through three mutual friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's So Stamos, is he's the best. Come yeah. on. Come on. I don't, he's the greatest. He's the any, I'll be honest with you, he is the nicest, kindest, sweetest. Like he is, there's, he's the best. He's, Coming from you, that says no, a lot. You know a lot best, of people. Dude, he's just so, I didn't expect it. Like he, I said, yeah, I've got a book. You want to run and read it? He's like, I'd love to. He was good. He took like, a buy it. I'm like, oh, I'll just send you a copy. But I didn't expect him to post and say, hey, Check out my friend's book. It's, it's, I was like, JS, thank you. I'm coming to the book signing. Tell everyone where they can get the book. I'm sure Amazon.com, all major yeah. bookstores. I, um, uh, selected bookstores now because, unfortunately, everyone's on Amazon. But it, it, there's, there's bookstores in uh, Las Vegas, uh, Barnes & Nobles, The Grove in L.A., Barnes & Nobles, the, the Barnes & Nobles in Glendora, and a few selected places. And, um, yeah, look, look, uh, um. Here's the most important thing I tell people, and I'll leave with this. People ask me, what's my life about? And I'm like, well, I believe my purpose is to inspire people, educate people, and motivate them to live their potential, love themselves because they matter. And if you haven't been told you're enough, from now on, I'm telling you're enough. And you can go around and say, Mike Diamond said I was enough. Get out of my lane. And I tell you this. If you bring value to other people and your purpose is to bring value to other people, right, you will always profit. Put people and purpose first and you will profit because if the cause is right, the effect is money. Love you. Good connecting with you again. Love you, JT. You're the best. Thank you for listening to all 52 minutes and 52 seconds of the JT and Looney podcast featuring Mike Diamond and we are powered by Bet Online. Where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.